Hello, welcome to the newest episode of What's New in Adapted Physical Education. This is your host, Dr. Scott McNamara, and I am really, really excited to be giving you this brand new episode where I had a discussion about the terms inclusion and integration and really uh, dived into those topics like I haven't before. Uh, I have Dr. Justin Hagel on today who is a professor at, at Old Dominion University. Uh, he's an old friend of mine, a good friend of mine, and uh, he's always a great person to talk to because he always has a different way to see things. So I'm really excited to have this discussion. Now, uh, one thing that you will see in this discussion is that this was part of a two-part episode, and we're breaking it up because we also are talking about ISAPA, um, very soon, I'm going to have an episode with Dr. Martin Block and Dr. Justin Hagel and Ann Griffin from uh, Iowa and talk about this big international symposium for adaptive physical activity that's going to be taking place in Virginia this summer. So um, if we reference that once or twice, uh, it's because we had a discussion right after this interview. But because I think this interview is so timely and so interesting um and like i said he totally has a different take on inclusion um and we start talking about integration uh integrated pe i really think it's an interesting one that everyone's going to really enjoy and at least give everyone a new perspective so listen and uh enjoy let's start talking about that inclusion stuff so i have dr justin hagel here from old dominion university he was on here a long time ago, one of my first episodes. I think we talked about kind of like your 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 exploration and travel to the field a little bit. And uh, as well as I think we talked a little bit about your parapro kind of, you did some research and you're, you're still doing a little bit of research on paraprofessionals and such. And that's what we talked about last time. And today we're going to talk a lot. Uh, let's start with that inclusion conversation in a moment and then we'll talk a little bit about ISAPA going off. I had a conversation recently with Dr. Martin Block. Now, all right, I wanted to get you on the podcast for this. So before we start anything, what do you think? I know you're a big Knicks fan. What do you think about the Knicks' recent trade with the Mavericks? Let's. I want to hear that before. And well, just, so this, this has been on my desk for about two years. This and what is that? Chris Stapp's Porzingis bobblehead doll. Ah, and once they traded, this was a gift from uh, a student who graduated. Um, but once they traded him, I had to displace him up above my bookshelf. Um, I think I think what they're doing is they're uh, clearing cap space. Uh, they took a, a, an exciting young player in Dennis Smith Jr. I like him quite a bit. He's going to be in the dunk contest next week. Um, but they took him, they're clearing cap space, they waived Wes Matthews already, they're going to waive DeAndre Jordan, it surprised me if he made it through the season, and they're going to open up a bunch of cap space and probably not get anybody to actually join the team this summer. <laughs> hey man, you know, getting uh, another Courtney Lee on the team and paying them, yeah. you know, a yeah. lot of money. Or is... maybe they maybe they get the first or second pick and pick up one of these, uh, you know, these Duke prospects. I'm hoping for R.J. Barrett. I like Zion, but I think R.J. Barrett might be a better well, pro. My Detroit Pistons also they're in they're in NBA purgatory I think is what it's called where they're eighth or ninth seed every year and even though all of a sudden we have one of the best players in the league but we're still just there so 
any. I think I mean, Blake Griffin's playing really well, man. Uh, I watch almost every game, and he plays phenomenally. And it, it's horrible to watch a player that plays at like I mean, he's playing on the MVP level, but then at the same end, the players around him are uh, remind me of when I played high school basketball a little bit. <laughs> like that's who's around him right now is. Uh, uh, they, yeah. they 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 need help. Did they just get Thon Maker? They did. They did. I like. I like Thon Maker because he's a YouTube sensation and he can do a lot of things a lot of people can't do, but he, he might not have the head for, for the NBA. Yeah, yeah, we got him and we got some guy from Ukraine, I think, or something. I can't remember his name from the Lakers, but did a little bit. So, anywho, though, <laughs> that's going to make it on the podcast, all right? Great. All right, Great. good. Yeah. As long as, as, long as uh, Chris Stapps isn't listening, I'm good. Yeah, well, you know, if he does, you know, he's... He's got a, you know, probably gets a lot of, uh, a lot of different takes on him. All right, so we're going to talk a little bit about inclusion and integration and your recent endeavors with that. And you, you were talking a little bit a while ago. You have a paper coming out in Quest about inclusion and integration uh, in PE. So let's like let's. I want you're going to kind of guide this this conversation a little bit more than normal, but let's maybe just start out with like what your definition of inclusion is. Yeah, sure. So, so I did uh, recently. I did a talk at, at the National Association of Kinesiology and Higher Education Conference in Savannah, um, and the, a paper of mine, which was about um, looking at whether or not integrated PE uh, classes are in fact inclusive, was selected for the Halle Beth Poindexter Young Scholar Award. So, I had the opportunity to do this really nice invited talk, and one of the points in the paper. Uh, was to talk about this distinction between a con the concept or the philosophy of inclusion and integrated PE classes. And so these two terms, inclusion and integration, in my, in my belief is that they're commonly misunderstood and used interchangeably quite a bit in our field and also conflated a lot. And so I think because we conflate these two terms, um, it leads to these mixed and ambiguous messages, not just for um, not just among researchers, but also for teachers. And so you hear teachers say, I teach an inclusive PE class because I have kids with disabilities in a class with kids without disabilities. Um, in, my, in my belief, that's not actually accurate. That would be considered an integrated class. Um, uh, uh, inclusion, unlike, so or integration is essentially just the placement of kids with and without disabilities in the same class. Um, inclusion is a philosophy that supports um, sense, a sense of belonging, um, positive feelings, uh, uh, acceptance, while also having like growth and learning in an in a educational setting. So it's a philosophy that guides educational practices. Um, and so in adaptive PE or in PE, it might look like modifications or accommodations, but it also has to look like, um, from the outside looking in, it would, it would look like those two things and also children and children with and without disabilities interacting together. But I also believe that we, as people outside of children with disabilities, as observers, we can't actually tell a child they're being included. Um, I think that is a, um, I think that's a, a misnomer that somebody can look at a, a situation and say it's inclusive. I believe that uh, inclusion, the feeling or inclusion is only understood as a subjective feeling associated with, um, associated with a sense of belonging in a situation or um, a sense of value that other people value you while you're in a situation. And so there's a bunch of research that says, you know, this person was in this setting with children without disabilities, so they were included. 
but nobody's talked to that, or not nobody, few people have talked to those kids and said, did you feel included? Did you feel valued? Did you feel a sense of belonging? Did you feel like you were supported so you could reach your goals while you were in that setting? Wow. That, I think those, I, you just said a lot of stuff. And I know that was too much. <laughs> it was good. It was good. It was profound. Uh, I think a lot of that was profound. So let, let's, let, let's dive a little bit deeper into that first part about like if they don't, or that last part about if they don't perceive that they're included, then they're not, then you wouldn't consider that an inclusive setting. Right. Well, I don't think there is an inclusive setting. I think you have integrated settings. And I think some people, um, or I think an integrated setting could have inclusive practices applied to it. I also believe that self-contained settings can have inclusive practices applied to it. And kids with disabilities in self-contained settings can have those subjective experiences um, associated with belonging, acceptance, and support, and value. Um, I think that that's an uncommon perspective. I think most people think inclusion, they think kids and kids with and without disabilities together, but uh, you know, I think that you can have a sense of inclusion in pretty much any setting where there's more than one person because there's still other differences that occur among kids. Just because kids are a group of kids with disabilities doesn't mean they're a homogenous group. Um, so, so yeah, I, I think that, again, when I talk about contexts or settings, it's an integrated setting or an integrated context. When I'm thinking about the philosophy that guides practices in those contexts, um, it would be inclusion. Definitely. I, I mean, I think all that makes sense. But once again, I really value the way that you, you're, like, talking about it because you're really, like, kind of, I don't want to say attacking, but you're, you're you know, you're, you're putting, like, some, like, you're, you're kind of attacking the, the, our, our original idea of inclusion over the last 20, 30 years. And you're in my issue with inclusion really isn't an issue with inclusion, but it's an issue with the conversation because the conversation to me hasn't gone anywhere since I was in my undergrad and I learned about stuff that happened 15 years ago. Um, and to me, I'm, I've been kind of like a little bit out, like I, I, I just kind of avoid conversations about inclusion versus uh, self-contained or all those things because you know I I've heard the same conversations over and over again and so what I like hearing about yours is that you have a different take on it and I really like that we need to really consider that each student's own experience and um, perception in it, this thing about inclusion within an integrated and or self-contained setting I mean that's somewhat profound about the self-contained idea is that you can still give them an inclusive experience yeah, I mean, I, I certainly believe that. I, I, I don't think of it as a, as attacking, and I also don't think this is new. I, uh, if you read, there's a paper by Karen DePaul in 2000 where she describes um, the need for considering inclusion as a philosophy rather than as a context. Um, the, the definition um, from UNESCO is about inclusion being a social justice fulcrum involving adapting a variety of, uh, a broad vision of education for all by addressing the spectrum of needs uh, for all learners, including those who are vulnerable to marginalization and ex exclusion. Um, so I'm not, I mean, I'm not making this stuff up. This isn't, I'm not redefining inclusion. I'm, I'm trying to take the definition of inclusion that um, I believe is more widely accepted outside of our field and apply it to our field. Do you think it's widely accepted within the field of education? I think I think in social justice. Okay. So so it's not maybe just PE. It's it's maybe the whole field of, of education then. That... Yeah, it could be. I mean, I I don't I don't know enough about um, 
what goes on outside of a PE or adapted PE to speak in an educated way about whether or not they, in, they conflate these concepts. But I think in our literature and in our schools, we conflate them quite a bit. And, and for us, it's a, it's a huge problem because um, our schools are moving toward these integrated settings with the belief that it's better for kids with disabilities. Um, however, if you look at a lot of the literature from kids with disabilities themselves, um, where people have interviewed people with disabilities to see what their subjective experiences are like in integrated settings. And, and this literature started maybe in 2000 with the Goodwin and Watkinson paper, um, and it continues uh, today. A lot of the work that I've been doing has been retrospectively talking to adults to ask them about what their PE experiences were like in integrated settings. Um, a lot of, I mean, there's some good things, but a lot of it isn't good. A lot of it is, uh, you know, uh, there's a lot of bullying. There's a lot of social exclusion. There's a lot of um, disabling behaviors by the PE teachers. Um, there's a lot of uh, issues with paraeducator support and, and what paraeducator support looks like and how it's experienced by the kids and um, whether close proximity of paraeducators is actually a good thing, even though a lot of APE people will suggest that that's exactly what paras should do. Um, I, I think there's a lot of conversations that we haven't included people with disabilities on. And so how could we know if something is inclusive it's, if, if it's uh, defined as this or if it's understood as the subjective experience associated with individual beliefs if we don't include the people with disabilities in, in the talk? I, and I think those are, are things that a lot of us have kind of questioned and thought about a lot um, about, you know, where is the most appropriate place for each student? Um, and a lot of times we're thinking about placement, not about like the philosophy, but we're thinking about where, and then we are usually confined by whatever our school offers to, um, to what we're thinking about, which is usually a two model general, like, you know, PE or self-contained PE is usually what we're really thinking about. Um, but how does your philosophy or your ideas on this kind of relate to that least restrictive environment um, model? Uh, I, I mean, again, I think that you can provide an inclusive experience in any of these experiences or in any of these settings. So like to me, educating somebody in a self-contained setting is not qualitatively worse than educating them in an integrated setting. Um, and I think a lot of times, I think LRE does, I think LRE perpetuates the idea that integrated settings are inherently better um, because we have to lean toward educating students with disabilities within settings without kids without disabilities. Um, but I think there's a ton of problems that end up happening with that. I think that that basically allows administrators to manipulate school placements for scheduling reasons or financial reasons, you know, like if a school doesn't want to provide um, an extra or uh, hire an extra APE teacher or PE teacher to teach self-contained settings, well, we're going to have an inclusive quote unquote school and we're going to educate all the kids together. That's cheaper it's easier for the school to do, it's easier for the school to schedule. Um, but what that ends up, what ends up happening from that is this dumping ground mentality, which, which is not a new phenomenon in adapted PE either, where kids with disabilities are dumped into classes or with kids without disabilities and they end up sitting on the side or on the bleachers or being ridiculed and bullied by peers without much change in the actual curriculum by the teacher. I think once you, if you start talking about that least restrictive environment thing, I think that's where there could be some conflict once again with your ideas on this and what some of the literature has said because it's in the law and the way that it's pr pretty much specified in the law is that the least restrictive environment is the general you know general ed setting with the, all their peers 
and that you need a lot of documentation and a lot of reasoning to put them anywhere else. And yeah, so- I think I, I think I interpret restrictive differently. When I think of restrictive, I think of educationally restrictive. So is the child more restricted in learning in a integrated setting than they would be in a self-contained setting? And so to me, the self-contained setting in a lot of cases, not all cases, but a lot of cases is the choice. And so um, I, I mean, and this is informed by a lot of different things. It's informed by my teaching background where I taught in a school for kids with autism and I saw the gains and the learning that the kids could achieve by being in self-contained settings. And it's informed by a lot of the research I do, which tends to focus on people with visual impairments. And a lot of times, especially people who have severe visual impairments or or, or no vision, um, when they're in integrated settings in classes that are not uh, changed at all, or even sometimes when classes are changed inappropriately uh, to, to meet their needs and support them, um, the experiences just aren't high quality. And I believe that a higher quality experience, and we're working on some research to, to, uh, to talk to people about this now, would be available in a self-contained setting or even a school for the blind. Absolutely. I think, and I, to me, it, I, it sounds very really good, and I, re- I really like the, the different perspective on it a little bit because, like I said, I just feel like, um, to me, I, I always think see it from an educational standpoint, too, and how is a student going to be most successful? And I, I do look at everything like quality of life when I, when I used to be part of those conversations more, more than just educational gains, like what is their quality of life going to be? Uh, and I think that is individualized for every student quite a bit. Uh, and then what their perspective is and such. I think it's, I just think it's a good conversation to have and kind of look at it from a different lens than what maybe what we're traditionally um, looking at it from. Now, from a previous conversation we had, we, you talked a little bit about, and I, I've repeated this, and so hopefully I'm repeating it somewhat correctly, uh, is this inclusive continuum. Do you remember talking about that? That inclusion's more on a continuum where people can kind of, even in one class that has inclusive features. Do you remember talking about that? I, I was sure, yeah. found that to so, be profound. So less so of a, con- it's not a continuum in the sense of it being like a spectrum of something being more or less inclusive. It's on a con- like more of a time or a temporal continuum, right? So if you take a, a snapshot of a 40 minute class, uh, you may have 15 minutes where all the activities are are supporting the child and the child feels these subjective experiences of belonging and and support and value. Um, But then you may fall into another activity where the child no longer is uh, is feeling that subjective experience of inclusion, right? So I think there is another misnomer, which is um, a class session is inclusive. Right or a uh, or my class is this unit is going to be inclusive, but I think that this can change throughout the course of a class, and and maybe it changes based on each individual moment in the class, not minute, but like seconds, where a child could be supported one second, and then the next second the support's no longer there, or the su- the support's there, but the activity has changed to a different level of the support is necessary. Um, or they're standing in line for a second and everything seems like it should be how it is and then a child in front of them notes something and bullies them or or, uh, provides some sort of verbal harassment or or what have you and then that subjective feeling of belonging no longer exists and so I don't think it's global in the way that somebody might say this is an inclusive class like look at how great this particular class session is And, and I'm sure that there are teachers who have 
30 or 40 minutes of consecutive in, inclusive, uh, inclusive philosophy applied to their class that's also understood as being inclusive by the participant. But I don't think for the most part that it would last. I don't think for the most part every class would have that long of a session or that every moment would be inclusive. I think the child's um, perspective about the class can change as quickly as the class can change. I think something else interesting about that thought, too, is that it, it, again, kind of makes us think about calling things an inclusive class setting because it, it could be an inclusive class, quote-unquote, for one student for that for that class session and not for the other for another student, even if both of them have similar disabilities, similar needs, because each one of their experiences is going to be slight, you know, different and their perspective is going to be different. So it kind of, again, kind of wrestles with that idea of like maybe we should really get away from calling calling it an inclusive setting now yeah, totally well I, I agree with that a hundred percent I think that because it's subjectively understood by the individual each person in the in the setting would experience it differently right and so one child with a disability may experience PE differently than another child with a disability but also each child without a disability may experience it quite differently than another child without a disability. So, you know, it's, the disability doesn't matter at that point. It's each child in the setting. And so a teacher may spend a whole bunch of time trying to apply these inclusive thoughts and inclusive strategies uh, into a class to benefit a child with a disability. Um, and that energy may take away from their ability to provide, provide that same type of inclusive experience for children without disabilities, maybe low performers without disabilities in PE, right? And so maybe they think, oh, this is now an inclusive class because this one child with a disability who's in the class feels this subjective uh, feeling of value and, and such. However, there's other kids in the class that now their subjective experiences are now suffering. I, I it's in, it, I like it. I really do. I really like. Now you said that you've done a lot of research. We all know that that you've done a lot of research on the area. Can you kind of expound upon some, uh, expand on some of the, um, some of the research that's kind of driven you to this this your perception on this? Um, I don't know if I can. To be honest with you, I think um, I think I I don't know if I've done a lot of research. I, I've written a, a a number of papers. Um, they're not all specifically on this topic. Maybe a few have been on this topic, and I think it's an area that I want to build more on, and I'm planning to build more on as we speak. Um, I had a meeting right before this conversation about how we're going to take the next step for the second paper in the series that we're going to do on integration and inclusion. Um, but I think one of the things that uh, started me in this area was uh, a few years back, I did a, uh, a review of literature of what the what PE was like from the viewpoint of people with disabilities. And so this was a paper that I did with Sue Sutherland that was published in 2015 in Quest. And um, doing that paper alone really put me down the path to valuing the experiences of people with disabilities over maybe uh, looking at how teachers experience it or how uh, peers without disabilities experience it. And I think all of these lines are important and I think they all contribute. Um, I just uh, have been sitting in this area of how do people with disabilities understand these integrated settings and are they in fact inclusive? And I think that's a question that that we need to ask. I don't think the question is how are they experiencing these inclusive contexts? I think it is how are they experiencing PE in these integrated settings and are they inclusive? 
Um, I think the, the follow-up question to that is, how are they experiencing these integrated classes? Are they inclusive? And how are teachers experiencing these integrated classes? Do they believe they're inclusive? And then are these perspectives congruent or incongruent? So if a teacher believes they're providing an, or an inclusive experience for a child and the child doesn't believe that the experience is inclusive, then there's a disconnect there between how we're training teachers to teach and how students are experiencing the class. So let's now go into those two concepts of inclusion and integrated. And I might not ask this perfectly, but like how, how do you, how, like why is it important for a teacher to better understand those two terms separately as two separate entities? And I know you've kind of explained some of that, but like how, why would this, why is it important for a teacher to understand integrated versus inclusive inclusion? I think the, the, to me, the most important thing is to know that one isn't inherently the other, right? So just because you teach an integrated class doesn't mean the experience is inclusive for kids with disabilities. Um, and I think to, to me that that's probably the message that um, might have been missing for teachers and, and probably could help not, I wouldn't say motivate, but at least um, bring attention to the fact that maybe strategies that can help push this inclusive philosophy and make experiences more uh, inclusive subjectively for kids um, would come to mind, right? And so just that thought, just because it's integrated doesn't mean it's inclusive and it doesn't need to be integrated in order to be inclusive. And, and, and I think also not to put um, an integrated setting maybe at the pinnacle of, you know, if it's, if it's not integrated, then it's not good is kind yeah. of... Well, and I think I, I, with that point, I think part of the reason we think that or we're told to think that or we're informed of that idea that integrated is good is because I, I also believe that we, we, we changed the goal of PE for kids with disabilities. So I believe that there was a, a great recent Twitter conversation about what's the purpose and what's the goal of PE. But I think that in general, we can we can agree that the goal of PE has is, is motoric, right? The, the overarching goal, and, and I think, you know, you could probably find a definition somewhere, would be like teaching people to be physically literate so they could have a lifelong physical activity or something like that. Um, but in adapted PE, we change that. We say, well, maybe the goal is social, right? So maybe the goal is to get kids in the same setting as kids without disabilities. And I think a lot of times we just skip the motoric benefits, even though the goal should be parallel. And so if your goal is parallel to PE, if you're really just adapting the setting in order to have the child still reach the same goal as kids without disabilities, which, which is talked about quite a bit, um, then whether it's in an integrated setting or it's, it's in a self-contained setting would depend on whether or not you can provide the best instruction for those motoric goals in those settings, not a social goal or a social outcome. Now that's a whole debate right there too, isn't it? Because that is, and it gets really complicated when we start talking about adapted, because those are because we might be working with a kid that only has a social need in that setting. So then, you know, what do we do for that student? You know, those... it's it's a great conversation to have. I think it's a parallel conversation, yeah. and uh, you know, I, I as you know, I tend to bring things up that people don't like talking about. <laughs> no, absolutely. That's that's say that's we all have a purpose. <laughs> But I, yeah, I mean, I think that I think your the concept and the idea of your integrated inclusion, I think, is spot on. I think it just now 
I wonder a little bit to me, as this is, I'm also a history buff and sometimes it comes up in this. I kind of then wonder like, you know, I, because integration was the big term in the push in the 50s and 60s with the Brown versus the, you know, the school of, uh, of, of school board or whatever it was board of. And um, I wonder like where we kind of like when that became maybe not the best term because I, to me, if I hear integrated for some reason, at the first time I was hearing this stuff, it almost made my skin crawl a little bit versus inclusion. And so I wonder like why that is and when that happened. Yeah, to be honest with you, I, I, I don't think I know the history well enough that I should when talking about these things. Um, we had um, Eva Brunsnikova and Marty Block write a chapter in our upcoming handbook on adapted PE about inclusion, and they include a good deal of the history of the concept of inclusion in that chapter. And so I learned a good bit just from reading that, and I appreciate their 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 chapter a lot because again, like it's it's fascinating stuff. Um, you know, the word mainstreaming was used quite a bit as well. Um, I, I I think using integration is partially important because it's a term that people don't necessarily ascribe positive views toward, right? And so maybe people will stop just uh, conflating that positive thing or positive concept that people or conceptualization that I have about inclusion with this you know, somewhat not, I, I don't know if it's negative, but it's more of a neutral tone term in integration because it, it is neutral. It's it's not a good thing or a bad thing to be in an integrated setting in my view, just like it's not necessarily a good thing or a bad thing to be in a uh, self-contained setting or all those, you know, that spectrum of settings in between. It, it shouldn't have value. It should just be the setting. And then the way you teach should be what provides the value. And we should all always be trying to proudly teach in an inclusive philosophy guiding our practices and, and yeah it's super tough though too like i think that's i think asking phys ed teachers to teach integrated settings um with these in inclusive strategies and inclusive philosophies i think that is an incredibly challenging thing to ask teachers to do it, it would be exhausting to ask them to do that and um i think that might be part of the reason that it's not it's not really an expectation either. Let, okay, let, we'll kind of transition to our ISAPA conversation in a minute, but let's try to, let's talk about that a little bit more then about, and this could be a little bit from that Twitter conversation we had the other day about inclusion, but what are the things that would make a teacher successful or not successful in, in an integrated setting? I don't know. That's, I, I'm not, I, I, I can't give you that answer. I think um, this is a shortcoming that, you know, I think, I think that people will say, well, this guy's got these ideas, but he doesn't have the answers. I think there are adapted PE teachers who are in schools who are so much better at this, at providing that answer than I am. Um, it's not, I mean, I train adapted or I train PE students to work with children with disabilities, but in the training that I provide, I focus on appropriate modifications and adaptations. I don't tell them that these are gonna provide an inclusive um, experience for the kids because I don't think I can guarantee that. But I do believe there are excellent teachers out there that have far more resources and understanding of how to do this. I mean, if you look at last year's um, National Adapted PE Teacher of the Year, Jody Duff, I was fortunate to be on the committee that selected her. And I mean, her teaching is phenomenal. I mean, the things she does is remarkable. And, you know, my favorite adapted PE teacher in the country who is rather well known, his name is Matt Meskel. He works at a school for the blind. And I would say that in the school for the blind, he provides an incredibly inclusive experience for those children. Um, but I personally can't do that stuff. It's not something that's within my skill set. 
It's part of the reason I left public schools is that I didn't think that I was serving the children to the degree that I could or that they could get from somebody else, maybe. Yeah. No, I, and we all have to be in our, the right place for us. I just, yeah, I think it's a, it's a good question um, about, like, you know, but it's what are the strategies that are most effective? And that's also sometimes where I get lost. I, I've somewhat left, like, the conversation in academia about inclusion versus all these other things to me because, like I said, I feel like it's a stale conversation sometimes. And then I also feel like we lack a lot of, like, any type of practical, like, things to do except for, like, figure it out stuff. Um and in, in, in I've somewhat like kind of veered away from it. I don't know if that last part will go in the, the podcast, if you, um, but I think I, I do think it's an interesting conversation. Is there anything you want to add about the inclusion conversation before we kind of go to the next one? Well, when it comes to strategies, one thing I would love to see is research that informs strategies for that that they ask kids whether or not like how they experience these strategies or these curriculum, and so. I think there are uh, interventions or programs that people have run that they've asked kids without disabilities what it's like and how they experienced it. We know how teachers have experienced some um, programs and curricula. I think more on how kids with disabilities in PE settings experience these curricula will show us like how inclusive, inclusive, quote unquote, a uh, program is. And so. Yeah, I think we take a one way to do it is to take these really high quality teachers that a lot of people know and use them as exemplars and analyze what their programs are like. I mean, to me, that's the simplest way to figure out what strategies will be inclusive. You know, that, so much research to do. That, so that, that question, though, um, is, yeah, we have to go to ISAPA in a second, but like that question, is anybody doing that? Is anybody looking at these? Because there's probably a dozen APE teachers that are known to all of us in academia, who we all know are doing a fantastic job, are we going in and cataloging at all what they're doing? I mean, maybe somebody is, but uh, it's not something that, like, like if they're doing it, we it needs to be disseminated in a way that we that the field would benefit from it. And, and to me, like, APAC is still the premier place to publish things that yeah. is going to influence our field. And I would love to see somebody systematically analyze how somebody like Jody Duff teaches their classes and how the kids experience that. And, and, and so I think, I think first we assume they're teaching inclusively and that their kids are getting good experiences, but we don't actually know because we haven't asked the kids, right? And so yeah. I think first we assume and then we, we need to analyze whether the kids are really feeling those uh, subjective experiences of value and such. And then we analyze what she's doing and then disseminate that to teachers so that they can replicate it. I know that Nick Pat has created kind of like this really large grid um, of different strategies and such, and what they people email them and let them know what it is and the outcomes that it was associated with. I don't know how well researched it really is, but they do they're they are developing in different settings, kind of a little bit more of a systematic way. But it is it's a it's a tough top topic because we don't really have a lot. Yeah, and and there's a reason we don't because it's tough. Wow, and. What a note to end that great discussion on. Um, like I said at the very beginning, this was a really great conversation, and I hope it really uh, made you all think a little bit, because I think uh, Dr. Hagel is one of those philosophers in our field and uh, you know, really gets us thinking about things and, and the terms that we're using and why we're using them uh, and what we need to do to move forward in our field. So 
I felt really refreshed uh, after that conversation, so I hope you all did too. Uh, as we, as I also said at the very beginning, uh, we were discussing ISAPA a little bit, and uh, we'll have those episodes out pretty soon for that, that great conference that's going to be out in June. With that, I hope you all are surviving the winter. I'm here in Iowa, and it is been a rough one. My transition from Texas to Iowa has been somewhat intense with the winter here. I hope all of you are faring maybe a little bit better than I am and uh, enjoying it and maybe having some great winter activities. I was out to a uh, school the other day and their PE class was uh, snowshoeing, so I hadn't seen that before, so that was exciting. So hopefully some of you all are doing that in your classes as well. With that, I want you all to go and uh, enjoy, listen to other podcasts, and uh, we'll be back soon. Thank you.